Welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we sign to a one day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network powered by Ortho Carolina. Follow the Riot Network on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. New episodes rolling out. Subscribe, rate, and love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me, as always, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host of It Is What It Is, and is feeling incredibly positive right now. So everybody, please don't kill his vibe. Hi, Josh. Yes. Why would we not feel positive right now? The NBA has zero tests in the bubble. Major League Baseball, theoretically, is going to be kicking off later tonight. And uh, what's the other sports? MLS only had two teams kicked out of their tournament because they had too many people with COVID-19. Um, and the NHL has super low numbers. The NFL and the NFLPA are getting to, together. It's, things are happening. And, um, and it seems like for as negative as we were in the last episode, and I personally was feeling very negative, I'm feeling a little bit of positivity. And it's like when you get a little bit of positivity, I don't want, I want to just, I want to ride that wave all the way into, into 2022. Like, let's just, let's just keep it going. Let's just keep this wave going through training camp, positive energy. Because if you come in here and you're super negative and you're like, Oh, uh, I don't think there's going to be a season. By the way, I'm doing an impression of myself um, from two from last episode. Um, and oh, how could they start training camp? And oh, Trey Boston's tweeting all this stuff, and Jermaine Carter looks sad on Twitter. It's if you're if you're coming in with that attitude, I don't want to hear it. The NFL, and when have they ever lied to us? And they certainly have the players' health at the forefront of their minds. They say that the season is going to happen, and why would they lie to us? So positive energy, and I want to see uh, the NBA. That's it. Um, uh, two things on that one. That is probably the worst Josh impression that I have ever heard, which <laughs> is concerning because you are Josh. I didn't say my name is Josh first. That's how we usually do. That's how my wife and I impersonate each other. Oh, my name's Josh. I like to eat French fries. Oh, there you go. That sounds more like Josh. I do. My name is Josh and I do like to eat French fries. So like there are no lies detected. Uh, will this episode be called, um, the one with all the kittens and rainbows. I, yeah. I feel very happy and positive right now. We're going to name it like Friends episodes. We're going to start on this one. This is the first one we're going to do it. We're three seasons in. We're going to start naming Friends episode style. And then next week will be the one where we all cry because the season got canceled. <laughs> womp, womp. Uh, also with us, as always, for the kittens and rainbows edition of One Day Contract, Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, is excited to move on from the longest offseason in NFL history and maybe get a chance to see these guys actually wear helmets. Hi, this Colin. All, this is also the longest on-season in dad history we've got going on right now, and that's causing more problems than the football offseason in these four walls, if we're being honest. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about the NBA. It's going to be great to see the Hornets in the bubble, see them play some games here and actually get into action. Oh, no, Colin. I'm, I'm, Colin, wait. Colin. Um, oh, man. I don't want to get. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to kill your vibe here. But um, I just haven't seen a whole lot. I know there's not a lot expected of the team. You know, they're they're not in the playoff. Oh, Colin, there's not much I mean, media coverage. It's, but it's. I'm Josh. You're I, right. I think, it's time for optimism in America. Marvin Williams actually is playing really well. So um, God, I, I haven't think, seen Marvin in a while. It's great. Tar Heel, man, it's so much fun. It's going to be really good. Kemba, like that knee is bothering him a little bit, but like I'm reading about how his knee is bothering him, but I think he's actually going to like be able to pull through. It's, I mean, it's wide open. The East is wide open. 
you know, and there's, there's, there's other reasons for optimism in football. Another difference-making running back got paid. It's almost like the position does have value. It's, it's crazy times. It's crazy times. But I, I, think it's, I think it's good to be optimistic. Also, the only piece of technology Colin probably owns in his house right now is a landline phone. I don't even know how he's recording this podcast right now considering the wealth of uh, information he has about sports right now. Yeah, the 60-foot landline coiled phone cord that I, that I have in my home does not support the weight of a 240-pound man. I just it's something I stumbled upon recently. I just picture you laying on your bed with your feet up in the air, tangling a 60-foot uh, coiled cord between your fingers while talking about uh, Devontae Graham's minutes. And boys the men is playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Very much a mood setting. <laughs> um, this longest season for uh, the dad season here, got any fun stories for us this week? No, no. I just have to – no. <laughs> no fun. Nothing. No. Not without, not without violating HIPAA or something like that probably. So, no, we'll just leave him out of it. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. We're all fine. On the one-day contract this week, Miles Simmons, senior writer and editor for Panthers.com, native Clevelander, and lover of Doug's Nation like the rest of sports Twitter. Welcome, Miles. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, I, I was a lover of uh, Doug's Nation. Now it's over, which has won a couple titles at LSU, and now he's just going to stop it, which I think he probably needs to because, look, at, at this point, we, we all, we all got to stop playing six-year-old video games, right? Like that's seven-year-old video games, actually, I think it is now. So, yeah. I think there's a, there was a point in during the quarantine when my wife looked over at me while we were watching, I don't know, like Scrubs or something, and I was watching a, a Doug's game on my phone, and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm watching a game. She was like, what's, what's, what game is that? And I was like, oh, it's actually NCAA 14. Uh, it's like a PS2 game. And she was like, what is happening? Who did I marry? What, what, what is our life now that, that, you, that, that you're watching this game? And not only watching it, like invested and like interested in who's going to win. And oh my God, it was, it was a real thing. I put on my headphones because I wanted to hear the commentary. Got to hear the, the chat. Absolutely. It, it made me happy to be single when I was uh, just watching, you know, Doug's on my phone or on my iPad or on my laptop and yelling at which receiver he should throw to. Because, yeah. like, that's just not something that you want to do around other people. No, it's definitely It's, it's nice to live a judgment-free life, isn't it? Not having yeah. a partner like that. It's it wonderful. really is. It really is. A partner like that. Oh, excuse me. I should have done a better impression of her. My name's Renee. Why are you watching that? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot like your Josh impression. It does. We're, we're very similar people. <laughs> well, let's start. Before we get right into training camp, we always start with Nikki's super important question. And since we have big news this week in the sports world, that's non-football. We'll call it football. Uh, your thoughts on the soccer announcement this week uh let's start with colin well i mean i'm excited if, if, if i was hoping for something more but sometimes sometimes the safe route just hitting it 280 yards down the fairway is the way to go i feel like that's what charlotte fc is the, the, the really the only objection i i kind of have is the crown i feel like it looks like uh an old appliance logo that maybe you saw in your grandma's fridge back in the day or a cruise line I don't think we, Charlotte doesn't need more crowns. Like I would rather see the bring back the buzz crown be used or something like that. I would rather us have a unifying crown rather than everybody gets their own crown. 
Um, I think honestly, I I was fine with the crown. I was excited that they were that they used crown in the crest, but not in the name, because um, Charlotte Crowns was not going to do it. Um, personally, I was a big. I think the, the we crowning I think soccer I, club. Yeah, I've made it very clear. Um, I think we can all agree Charlotte Dragons with a Z was going to be the better name. Um, we've talked about it for literally a year. Um, I was I I don't know why somehow a uh, a clip from like from Jonathan Jones's episode came across like YouTube or, or across my timeline somehow. And somehow I was already talking about dragons with a Z. So who knows how long ago that was. And uh, they really missed out, you know, obviously we've talked about it. Flame fire breathing dragon. It just, it lends itself to a ton of activations and cool stuff. But I think Charlotte FC uh, is going to be, uh, is going to be fine. And uh, it's kind of right down the middle. It, they didn't take any chances, but uh, I'm excited for, honestly, I, I don't pretend to be a huge soccer fan by any means, um, but I am excited for another pro team to be in Charlotte, you know, another thing to do that is going to get out, get people out of the house, unify people. And um, just even the response that we've seen from, you know, Charlotte and, and the soccer community and Mid City Collective has been, has been really big. So um, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. And, you know, all they have to do is be successful and Charlotte will love them. Miles? Uh, I am a TSC em, uh, employee, Tepper Sports and Entertainment employee here. So I, that, that's just a disclosure. But I, I do like it. Look, I think it's interesting when you have um, brand synergy between two that umbrella and that and uh with now charlotte fc so i mean the name is cool look i mean i when i worked in los angeles you know lafc came about and they had the they had the bank of america stadium and you know what was cool for me to see then was how organically it seemed like it sprang up in the community and the fandom sprang up in the community and i it felt more so than the la galaxy so i think you know lafc charlotte fc clt fc is it seems to be uh, nicknamed in some way. Like, I think that'll be cool to see. And I, I too am not a really big soccer guy. So maybe this will finally get me into it, but we'll have to see. I think from a branding standpoint, it's interesting what you just said about the galaxy versus the FC, like rather than trying to force some kind of established brand on it, this kind of leaves it open for the fans and for everybody to kind of make it their own. I mean, if you assume that these are the baseline colors that you start working from, I would think in time there will be some deviation from just being the Panthers colors. But if it grows out of that, then it does still work under the same umbrella and have that same kind of, uh, you know, connectedness that, that you're looking for. One of the things that I really was impressed with, if we're going to talk soccer for a minute, football, if you will, um, was uh, we went down to see an Atlanta United game and you walk into Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and I had never been there when it was not a Falcons game. Um, and it didn't feel like a Falcons stadium where another team was playing. It felt like mm -hmm. Atlanta United Stadium because they have similar colors. They're not exactly the same, but they have red. They share the red and the black. They were able to make those changes and those key kind of tweaks that, you know, you knew. That, like, obviously, nobody's going to just ignore the fact that it's where the Falcons play. But it wasn't like so – you didn't feel so out of place. Like it wasn't like when you go to Bank of America Stadium for like the Belk Bowl and you're like, yeah, where this is where the Panthers play and they just painted Virginia in the end zone. Like that was not the case. And I think that's going to – the color scheme is really going to help when they still share Bank of America Stadium. And then um, when obviously when the new stadium comes in, uh, then then they can really even do, do even more. Miles, tell us everything that you know about – 
the new stadium as a Tepper Sports employee. As to, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I won't put you on the spot. I nah. literally, I literally know nothing. So even <laughs> if I did know, and I obviously wouldn't say in this particular platform, but I really don't know anything. So I can be genuine and not have to lie to you guys. <laughs> the safety well, deposit the hasn't the even vested yet. Just let the man live here right? for a month. You know, he hasn't even, he hasn't even picked a favorite bar yet. Okay. <laughs> Not that was good in 2020, but you know what it's true. Yes. Before we start going into um, into Panthers and and kind of our offensive preview that we're going to do this week, what tell us a little bit about yourself? Introduce yourself to like the Panthers fans. I'm sure they've listened to you on on Happy Hour and read your stuff on Panthers.com. But um, you know, in, in case anybody is not familiar with who you are. Yes, I can give my, my elevator pitch about myself, yes. Uh, so I grew up in Cleveland, as I guess we, we said that off the top, um, and I spent most of the first, I don't know, I guess, I guess I spent all the first 18 years of my life there, and then I went to school in New York at Columbia, uh, graduated from there with a degree in American Studies, and after that, I started working for the Rams, so I covered the Rams for the Rams in a similar role to what I've got now, and I was there for five years. I moved from the team, with the team, I should say, uh, from St. Louis to Los Angeles, which was a good and a definite big adjustment because the St. Louis and Los Angeles are two very, very different markets. Um, but yeah, so it was cool to cover the Rams as they got a lot better. Um, obviously with Sean McVay, that was great. Uh, so got to see him go to the playoffs in 17 and then cover the Super Bowl in 2018, which was uh, unbelievably awesome uh, just as a reporter to, to experience that. Uh, then last year I covered the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review Journal. So I was living in Oakland um and covering a team for las vegas which was an odd situation uh but good i mean it was it was probably better that i lived in oakland rather than las vegas so i at least got to know the team a little bit and i anticipated being there at least for this year as uh the vegas thing happened um and they relocated officially but then this job came along and it was too good of an opportunity to pass up so that's how uh i have ended up now here in charlotte so are the you, best Jeff Fisher story. Uh, okay. Uh, so a few weeks into my job there. So when I started, they were like, all right, you're just going to be a, a staff writer. You know, we'll see what things come about. And I get there and they put me on two weekly radio shows and they had me do a weekly interview of Jeff Fisher. And I was very young and very green and had never really done much interviewing on camera in my life. So uh, at one point in the in, they went six and 10 and not seven and nine. Uh, Jeff Fisher decided that he was going to mess with me. And I'm pretty sure that they had lost the day before. So this is Monday. We would do this weekly interview. And so he comes in and I guess he tells everybody, Hey, I'm going to mess with miles today. And I didn't know this. So I'm sitting there and I ask him some random boilerplate question like, Oh, you know, like what did, how do you recover from this latest loss? Or what do you think about blah, blah, blah happened yesterday. And he just like totally shuts down and he goes, well, we lost. So what kind of question is that? And like, I probably like peed myself. Like it was horrible. <laughs> and it's somewhere this exists on uh, digital video. I was going to say film, but nobody films anything in 2014 anymore. Right. So yeah, that is probably my best Jeff Fisher story because he could only hold that for like three seconds before he and the rest of the room just burst out in laughter. And they got me that day. <laughs> I can't wait to look this up. <laughs> it's not, it's not public anywhere. Oh. But on some server, I wish it were because I think it's a fun story, right? But on some server somewhere in Los Angeles, there that video I believe exists. 
We'll find it. Yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll I'll have somebody. It. Yeah, it, somebody should because I'd like to see it honestly. <laughs> All right, are you guys ready? Let's dive in. Let's, let's do it. Panthers let's talk. Do it. Panthers talk. My name's Nikki. Are you guys ready? It's Panthers talk. <laughs> that was your impression. That's actually who, really good. Who was that? It was that. Did Nikki just say it twice? It's weird. <laughs> So let's start with, first of all, just what is the status of training camp right now? Rookies have reported, correct? They're, they're in the process of reporting, yes. And it's, it's almost weird because as I, I see it, you know, if you're going to get tested, like, does that mean you've reported? Like if you're not really stepping foot in the building, have you reported? I guess you have. So that's the process they're going through right now. So they've take, they're, they're taking one test and they got to wait 72 hours and they take another test and then they can finally go into the building and take their physical. And it, to me, it's like, have you really reported until you take your physical? I don't know because the physical is usually the first thing that happens. The first days of physicals can even start happening is Saturday for rookies. So Yes, they're in the process of doing so. That's a long-winded way of answering that question. Don't worry, Miles. We're very long-winded on this podcast. You're going to fit Great. in just fine. Awesome. Uh, I, I think that the the yeah no, you're absolutely right. The question is like the so it was always my impression that you didn't sign a contract before a physical, right? And now we're in the opposite thing of that because obviously these contracts must be contingent upon a physical because I'm sure they don't want to do like a Bashad Breland type of situation. But at the same time. They're, you know, uh, they, they drafted these guys, whatever, four months ago. So hopefully they have not uh, changed too much physically um, since they, since the last time they were able to be examined by doctors. But anyway, but you're right. They are reporting in the process, but like, this is, this is going to be the whole next month, right? Is like, things are going to be weird. Like, is it going to be, Hey, oh, the rookies are reporting, and then like, oh, they have the day off. Like, were they supposed to have the day off, or were they day off because of the COVID nineteen? And like, is this a vet day or is this a coronavirus day? Like, these are the it's the next month, uh, the next excuse me, the next six months are going to be super weird. Um, but yeah, so like theoretically, rookies are are kind of reporting, but I, it's just who who the H knows what's going on. But it does seem a little bit positive right now. At least, I mean. I said it at the top and I said it last week, but like the NFL and the NFLPA seem so far apart, even as even last week. And like miles, were you on that, um, on that conference call or zoom call with uh, the NFLPA guys last week? I was not on it. I guess because yeah. I work for a team, they don't mm. invite me to such things, but I was reading everything that came out of it. And yeah, it, it was to me, the most interesting thing. And it, I guess it's because I, I covered him personally was hearing about what happened with Andrew Whitworth and his family. Yeah. Like that, that's serious. And I think it explains just how bad this could get if you're not doing testing and tracing protocols correctly, right? Like, cause he said that there was somebody his family's connected to, they went to brunch with somebody, they came home and passed it on to his wife or to Whitworth. He then passed it on to his kids and they passed it on to uh, his wife's parents and his father and Whitworth's father-in-law ended up in the hospital for a few days. And fortunately he is all right now and he's recovering at home. But look, it, I, especially if you think about these positions where it's very, very hard to socially distance if you're practicing, right? You know, offense, offensive line. How are you going to socially distance from the rest of those guys? And I've seen offensive linemen tweet this all the time. If you're in the huddle and you go into the line 
and some it had, so it happens that somebody has coronavirus among the five offensive linemen or four defensive linemen or three if they're playing a fourth or a three four whatever the case may be that's really easy to pass so it's why these testing protocols have to be super super tight because otherwise you could have a situation where something really bad happens who on the panthers do you think would be in the course of one practice and uh, 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 this this might not be able to be nailed down but who do you think would be the person that could pass the pass to the most people in the course of one practice because in my mind it's like so it's probably somebody that plays special teams right maybe it's one of the linemen so like could like Derek Brown's not going to play special teams most likely. So he is, but he is going to be in the defensive huddle. So you need somebody that's like in the starting defensive huddle and maybe also playing, I don't know, like would Jermaine Carter be a good guy or like Andre Smith, who's going to get like the whole defense infected, the whole special teams. And then, uh, and then like, he's going to be in the defensive room. So it's just like, like the way it spreads, it's like, you know, you've tell two friends and then they tell two friends. And then, I mean, it's, it could spread through a locker room so quickly. And obviously this is a positive episode. You just made a really negative though. Did I? That was, that was, that was pretty grim. It's weird. Um, Tried to pin down make... who we should blame for spreading yeah. it through the Panthers already. God. Like it hasn't even happened. You're Sorry, just like, Jermaine. Sorry, Jermaine. Andre, if you're listening. Cut him now. Don't take the risk. Jermaine <laughs> Carter is public health risk. What are we doing? I, I think the more likely thing is it's going to be, it would be a captain that's talking in the huddle Ooh. or it'd be the water bottle guy. And I mean, no disrespect to the water bottle guy. I just mean that there's not a water bottle guys for each, you know, for special teams, for defense, for offense. Like it's going to, it'd be somebody like that. It'd be the guy that does the tape, the guy that does the towels. Like you don't, we don't know. I mean, I, I think that I think what the NFL needs to do and all of these leagues to do need to do is identify the populations that we need to be the most concerned with. I think the NFL needs to be concerned about these offensive linemen that are overweight, that are obese. Um, and I think, you know, the African-American players and I think the coaches that are over 50. These are the these are the three groups that, that we need to start with and everything else, you know, testing and everything needs to be needs to be in place for everybody. But um, I think we have to be serious about addressing the, the, the populations that are at risk and deciding whether or not guys need to be doing what they need, you know, need to be out there. I don't know if 360, 370-pound guys need to be out there right now. It certainly doesn't seem like it. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't – obviously, we don't have any answers, and we can debate what the best practices are. But, like, the, the NFL and the NFLPA, the problem that I keep seeing is that – the NFL and the NFLPA have agreed on all these protocols, but they have no answers for these questions of what happens when somebody does get sick. It seems like testing protocols were all the were, were their biggest questions for the for the last month or for for the lot for a while. But leading up to training camp to get people into training camp was can you test every day? Can you get a good test back um, within 24 hours? And you know how how does this work from a testing standpoint? But what they haven't really identified, I don't think, is what happens when too many people get sick. Like if, if 35 guys test positive for COVID-19 on Saturday, who plays on Sunday? And that that's taking away the, the huge gambling aspect of it that I think is that everybody is kind of the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about, but also like uh, it's like a competitive disadvantage. So like if the, if the chiefs win the Super Bowl again in 2022, or whatever you're in. Sorry, it's been a really long time. Um, 
2020. And they're like, yeah, well, I mean, they won the Super Bowl, but like they played against the Ravens who were missing their entire offensive line and the whatever the I can't think of another. AS You're having a LeBron James conversation right now, I think. Yeah. You are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is LeBron going to play football this year? I heard he'd be a really good tight end. Miles, weigh in. You're a Cleveland guy. I have a fun LeBron story if we want to tell that. Yes. Um, I'll I'll tell it really quick. In 2016, right after they won the finals, and I cried when they won the finals. I love it. LeBron was uh, walking through the tunnel at the Coliseum uh, for the Rams' first game back there in the regular season. It was against the Seattle Seahawks week two. So he's like walking, and I had no idea he was going to be there. And I'm standing there on the sideline with a couple friends, and he walks right past me. And I was like, oh, my God, that's LeBron James. That's LeBron James. LeBron. LeBron, thank you for winning the champion, LeBron. It was the most embarrassing professional moment I've ever had. <laughs> That's the clip I really want to see. Yeah. yeah. That's in the background of some third and two play. You see LeBron walk by <laughs> and then just, ah! <laughs> yeah. I don't usually act like that, especially if I'm, like, working. But, you know, I got surprised. It was It just had to happen. Absolutely. Sorry, I apologize. I interrupted you, begging you for that LeBron story. Um <laughs> I what did. were we talking about? Uh, players we're being positive testing. about training camp. Uh, yeah, we're being positive about training camp, but negative about uh, tests because we all want tests to be negative. No, I think you're right in that the, the unanswered question is what happens if there's a really big outbreak on a team? And because there are protocols for, okay, if one person tests positive, that one person gets isolated. They have to have a certain amount of negative tests. They have to be isolated for a certain amount of days. And you can't come back into the building until you've been cleared through your testing and through the medical personnel. But if, you know, as if it's worst case scenario, right. And five offensive linemen get it right. Then what happens? I, you just kind of, you don't, don't know if it's five offensive linemen. Right. Yeah. Maybe, you know, uh, if this whole rumor about having potentially 16 practice squad guys, maybe then you call up the practice squad guys. But if it becomes, 11 what happens that like what is what's the threshold of players where you say all right we need to we need to stop and that is still sort of the unanswered question and yeah i think that there's reason to be concerned about that because look you're not playing this game in a bubble it's too hard there are too many people involved that have to be involved in order to successfully play football. I mean, uh, you mentioned it. Look, you've got trainers. You've got um, water guys that carry the water for you. You've got equipment folks. You've got doctors that have to be around. There are any number of people that's just – it's just more than what you have in, say, the NBA. And that's why the NBA can go into a bubble, right? Like you've got 15 or to 20 players now on a roster there. You've got 80 to 90 in football. And if they do this thing where they have 16 players on a practice squad, then you're talking about upwards of 70 people just on the, on the roster for the football team. You got a bigger coaching staff, got all this stuff. So yes, there is more, I think that they have to figure out, but right now, as long as you can test people and get them negative, and then you, know, you limit the amount of people that can get in and out of the building, you know, at least for this first uh, strength and conditioning portion of training camp, and I use air quotes when I say training camp because it's just not going to be the same as what we're used to, then it seems like we can start a progression. But yeah, there, there still is a lot to be figured out. I really do. I like seeing and having the players voicing their opinion on Twitter and things like that. But th- there are two parties. There's the NFL and the Players Association, and they have to work together yes. to get this figured out. And 100%. it's easy to be the players and point at the big bag NFL. But 
as we're listening to Miles talk, I, I can think of different scenarios that may or may not be more because if it's if everything's about safety, but it's really not, but we, we we say it is, then you shouldn't play any games where both teams are eliminated from the playoffs. Full stop. Hmm. That's it. There's no reason to play those games at this point if 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 it's paramount. We also don't know what deals and types of things the players may have turned down. The hotels around America are empty right now. Could could teams kind of go into a bubble of sorts, you know, a day after, two days after, and be safer? But are players willing to give up that time? I, like, it, there's there's a lot of conversations that are happening between these two parties that we're not party to, and you know, I, I'm just I'm just inclined to listen to to want to hear both sides, and we're not, and so I'm just not on the whole bag on the NFL exclusively train on this because it, it is an unprecedented situation we find ourselves in, and ultimately money's, you know, money's important. The economy's important. Making your money in a timely manner if you're a football player is important. It's okay to say that, I think. We, I think we have to get to a point where we can say that and then also say we need to be, uh, you know, precautious about, about COVID-19. Yeah, I think the, the thing that we said uh, a couple weeks ago where we were talking about how the reason why, the reason for optimism about the season is not the guys that make tens of millions of dollars a year. It's the guys that make 450 uh, or, you know, uh, they need that check in order to survive, you know, and, and those are the guys that make up 80 to 90, maybe even more than 90% of the NFL PA. And so when it comes down to a vote, those guys are probably going to vote to play because they want the, they, they need the money. They don't just want it. They need it. So uh, I think that that is kind of why, that's why it's it's the onus is on the NFL to make those people make everyone as safe as possible. But ultimately, uh, that is 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 going to take some creativity. Well, to me, like this, when you're talking about money, in maybe this is you know sort of crass to say, but look, there are a lot of people who depend on football and sports for their livelihoods, me included, right? Like this is basically, like I just took a new job. I moved across the country to do this. And I don't think anybody could have anticipated back in March when I was having discussions about taking this job that we would still be in the situation that we're in within this pandemic, you know, on July 22nd as we record this. But the the thing about it is, you know, we, it, it looks like college football, may or may not happen right now. And the NFL is trying to charge ahead as much as they possibly can. But when you think about the NFL, look, there are TV contracts at play. And the way those TV contracts cascade down, look, this is it's important to a lot of people that football happens. And that's part of why it, it, they're going to give it uh, as big of a try as they can to make sure that it can happen um, and make sure that they can do it as safely as possible. But like I said, I mean, there's, there are a lot of bigger implications from having the most popular sport be able to play versus not having the most popular sport be able to play that affect a lot of different people. And, and what you just talked about, Miles, to me is important, the, the distinction between the pro and the college game. Are you talking about people getting, you know, their, their economy, they're making their money. The players are at the top of that list, and not everybody's making as much. But, you know, a lot of guys are making significant money versus, hey, we need college football to start because the local economy, which pours none into, the ex, into these actual players, needs to run. That, to me, is a completely different leverage situation, a completely different um, talking points because of just that issue right there. Right now, I'm furloughed. I'm, I'm out of work. Would I go and risk my, my, you know, 
my health to go out and be able to make money right now? Yes, I would. It would have to be an acceptable risk. But am I going to go huddle up with a bunch of construction workers in a ditch and get sick? No, I'm not also going to do that. There's got to be some kind of, you know, common sense here. And I think the pros to me, I think the moral question is, is almost completely off the table because we're talking about adults that are all being compensated. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, the more. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know. I don't need to weigh in more. Um, but I do want to ask you guys about with the lack of a training camp and like with with all this stuff happening, they say the roster may be 80 instead of 90. Do you think so? Obviously, the easy the easy answer is the UDFA is the 10 guys that are not going to make the immediate roster are going to lose in this situation. But how much does this affect lack of a preseason, lack of practice, lack of being able to get there out on the field? Um, how much harder does it make not only for the players, but for the coaches and for the GMs? And like, it's, it's obviously it's unprecedented and everybody has to be creative and, and make different decisions. But, you know, how, how do you go about building your team when you can barely watch them play and you will not be able to watch them play on the field before you have to make a decision on whether or not they're going to make the roster? Well, for one, I don't think we're going to see the greatest football we've ever seen in 2020 from a tackling right. standpoint, from whatever it is. Like, but yeah. right now, just give us something. Just, <laughs> just give me some nine and sevens. Give me some eight and eights. Give me some. Give me some coaches not calling timeout in the last minute. Give me something. You know, we're not. It's not going to be great football. But I do think what you're talking about, and it's it's been fool's gold for how how long on Twitter, where it's like, oh, preseason tweets, preseason tweets. Like, how many of those preseason tweets age like fine wine? Like hardly any of them. I just think that this is, it, it, it's going to be like Christmas Day on, on week one because we have no idea what we're all about to see. Some of us are going to get crappy gifts on Christmas. It's, it may be a white elephant celebration, but I, th- I don't think we're going to have any clue. I don't know how you put any weight in anything in this preseason. I think for the coaches, it's kind of a big deal that you don't have preseason games. If you're a new coach, Right. So the Panthers, for instance, you're not going to be able to go through a game day process, a true game day process and see what it's going to be like to call plays, you know, from either up top or on uh, or, or on the field. You're not necessarily going to have that same sort of atmosphere, even in a preseason game that I think can really help you and just going through those operations. Now, the Panthers probably are in a better situation than most teams because they practice and they're headquartered at their stadium. So in theory, you know, you can just say, all right, today we're going to be in the field. We're going to simulate as best we can what a game day might be like for us. But in reality, it's just not the same. Um, but for the players, I think that the bigger deal is not having joint practices at all. Because to me, preseason games are sort of a wash because you don't have – they're random, they're an actual game, but they're not real games. And, you know, at least in the teams that I've covered the last couple of years, not really seeing starters in play. It, it, they're just – They're not really real football, but in those joint practices, you get the controlled situations. You get to say, all right, it's third down and seven. We're running five plays. We want to get this work done and we want to do it against a different defense. You know, you don't get those red zone situations where you're saying we're we're running 20 red zone plays against a defense that is not our own. And we're going to really be able to evaluate our guys from that. And, And especially with these young guys, these undrafted guys, I think those situations are really, really critical because you get to evaluate what they're doing in a certain situation in practice. And that's really what they would be used for in a game, you know, in the regular season. So 
I think when you're talking about practice time, look, that's extremely important, especially because you didn't have any sort of off-season program that you actually got to see guys translate what they were learning in uh, the virtual classroom then onto the field. You didn't even have a walkthrough, right? So those things I think are really going to be critically important, but also just the fact that you've never seen some guys and you're going to have to cut them, that stinks. Like going from 88 to or 89, whatever they're at right now, down to 80 players before you ever even got to really be in the building. Like, can you imagine like, oh man, I'm going to be an NFL player. Uh, let me uh, take this nasal swab up the nose here and get tested for COVID. Oh, and now I'm cut. Nah. Like that flatly, that stinks. And I, I, like, I feel for players who are going to go through that for the next week or two. Absolutely. I mean, what about somebody, what about the 89th guy on the roster or the, how about this, the 79th guy on the roster who tests positive for COVID? Is he going to make the team Man. or is he probably going to, is he going to get cut and, and for one of the guys 80 through 89 who didn't get cut, who didn't get it? Like, I like that, that, that kind of stuff is just those kind of questions. Once you start thinking about it, it's like, just your mind will break a little bit. It's like, once you start thinking about like inception and you're like, okay, but if he was the dream part and then when they woke up, the music was playing slower and then, but why was he asking about like, once you start asking too many questions, it just gets, it, it's too much. And so those kind of things are, are impossible. Trey Boston said something to me really interesting last year where we were talking like right before the, the fourth preseason game. And I was like, you know, is this a good chance for these guys to like that, to like show their stuff? And he was like, honestly, man, the coaches have been watching them in practice for the last six weeks. So if they haven't been showing it in practice the last six weeks, whatever they do on the field against the fourth string for the Steelers isn't going to matter. Yep. So like, just like uh, for the most part, uh, any beat writer can, or even most people can tell you 50 of the 53 guys that are going to make the roster probably right now. Um, and the last three are the only ones that are kind of in, in question in flux. And I felt like with, with Ron Rivera, you could, I, you had a general idea of like what he liked and you could tell what he was doing in training camp. I don't know that I can do that right with Matt rule. Obviously I've never seen how he runs a practice, how he, what, you know, but like, I, I think it's going to be harder to predict the last few guys on the roster, but ultimately like, I think that in order to per, kind of preserve the um, I don't want to say integrity of the game, because that's not the right word for it, but in order to preserve the way, just the machinations and the way that the games are going to run, I think you almost have to have a much larger practice squad. And what they're talking about is uh, making the moves from practice squad to the, to the true roster be kind of instantaneous and you don't need to worry about how many you're doing per week. Those are the kind of things that you have to, the NFL and the NFLPA have to institute because 53 guys, when you haven't seen any of them practice until mid August and probably 10 to 15 of them are going to have hamstring strains within the first three weeks like you need to, you need more bodies out there to take, to kind of, to, to be able to take the, take the reins and take those, fill those roles, especially on special teams. But like how much of that does a positive test, a positive COVID test in the middle of August play, you know, like these are the kind of things that we don't know the answers to, but they're just, they're, they're things that GMs, I, I don't, I don't envy Marty Herney's job ever, but certainly right now I don't envy it because you're absolutely right, Miles, to make just for you to make the decision to say, ah, you know what, these nine guys that I thought I wanted on the team or I wanted to take a look at two months ago, cut them. 
Well, we need the XFL or one of those additional leagues that we've talked about from time to time to make sure that those guys do get scooped up and you do identify that talent because you'll only make the NFL better. It, Josh, when you're sitting there talking the whole time, I'm going, this is, I want them to be more aggressive because everything you're saying is true for all 32 teams. So be aggressive in that kind of that back end churn because we know that it's going to happen. But then it's like, wait a minute we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like, do you want to be bringing in three, four, five new guys in, a, in you know, just on the off chance rolling the dice that maybe this undrafted free agent turns into a contributor or is it better to sit out? Like this is just, it's, I think trying to evaluate basically anybody that's in their job performance this season is, it's just, I don't know. I, I, was, I feel like it's a tough ask. I was thinking about that the other day too. Like how are you going to fire a coach after this year? Like I really, you know, be just based on, and this is so out of our realm of what we're talking about right now, but I, it's just like, how are you going to do that? This is a weird, strange, probably going to be lost in some ways season. And I don't know how you properly evaluate coaches working under these conditions because like, like you're just a call. Look, if somebody has a player that they've cut and then this new team wants to sign them, does this mean that they have to then go through all the screening protocols? So you're not going to be able to get that guy into the building, presumably for 72 hours. Like it's almost a four day waiting period, right? Like, because they would have to be tested then test negative and then test negative again, I think at least the way this thing, that's at least the way these players are going to have to be integrated right now as they start trying to do training camp. I don't, maybe if you test negative so many times and you're in one place and then you go to another, it, it's different. I don't know. Yeah. It's, these are the kind of questions that once you start to think about them, you're like, wait a second, but like, what happens if, what happens if, so like, uh, yeah, I, I, I was just thinking to myself, like if you're a coach and you cut and you cut somebody that test positive for COVID-19, do you have to then make up, can you just say we released him because he tested positive for COVID-19 and we don't, we can't have him on the roster or do you have to make up a football reason? Is that then a football injury? Would somebody not want to sign him because you need a linebacker this week, but you don't want to sign him because you need one on Sunday? I, I don't know. I, See, I thought this was, there was, a, there was a bit of the controversy about the whole, if guys get COVID, then they go on the non-football injury list and then those guys aren't necessarily paid and so people are kind of freaking out about that. But I think it's to, to what's your point, Josh, to try and circumvent kind of the normal rules so that you can bring somebody in quickly um, in, in that situation or, or promote someone from the practice squad quickly. There's just so many, there's so many moving parts in all of this. It's really, I mean, at some point, yeah. We're just, yeah, at some point the date's just going to get here and we're all just going to put our mask on and keep going as long as we can. Well, and it may be just the way the, is for everything now where it's a as it comes along kind of thing and as you go and day by day and everything changes and you learn as you go let's go into our preview of the offense is this the first episode where we don't talk about cam oh too late oh oh why cam jordan yes (laughs) yes look at pass rusher yes yeah he likes wine it's gonna be trouble weak 18 I don't know whenever they're going to play the Saints I say week 18 because they're going to move the first four to the next to the last part of the season and then Uh it's like then it's I don't know they're just going to mix everything they're going to like put them all in a pile you don't you don't mean the wild card round of the playoffs (laughs) maybe maybe that's all they're yeah actually they'll probably they'll probably both have a bye I think 
there, there you go. So only one team with buys now, though. I know, and also there's seven teams going to the playoffs. Like, just like think about that when you get to like if we get through this season and you get to like week 15 and you're like, oh my god, they're set. Like, just somebody that is going to hit somebody really late, and yep. it's going to be really exciting. Like, like seeing Laser Floyd. And just being like, oh, seven, we're actually in the hunt. We're six and six and nine. Nice. <laughs> but, you know, you talk about the record, you say six and nine. I really think the biggest question that I have is what is Matt, you know, we, we look at this, the quarterback position and Teddy Bridgewater specifically, what does Matt Rule want to do? I mean, I've heard some rumblings that he really wanted, you know, Trevor Lawrence, that he was a guy that really was focused on him. So if, <laughs> I feel like we're in one of these spots where it's like, are we going to act professional? Or are we going to, we're going to try and do what's best for us. We're going to go out there and try and win the most games. Like we don't know. And to me, that really is the biggest question facing this offense is, is there, is there an agenda other than going and winning football games this season? Are you asking if Teddy is a bridge? Over troubled water, no uh, doubt. I think, <laughs> we, I mean, we, we talked about this ad nauseum when, when, before, before we had uh, testing protocols to talk about for half an hour, we talked about how, <laughs> how it felt like Matt Rule and Marty Herney were on different um, agendas and on different paths. And Matt Rule didn't necessarily want to win th- in 2020. Obviously, caveat, everybody wants to win. Nobody wants to lose. Yada, yada, yada. Nobody has a loser's mentality. But ultimately, it may be If you want better. Trevor Lawrence, you want to lose, though. Ultimately, it may be better for your long-term uh, prognosis if you perhaps don't win as many games in 2020 as you can win later on down the road. But the we have we've been saying that for a while that it that's how it seemed. And when you get you know reports coming out that Matt Rule wanted to trade down and Marty Hurdy didn't, and these kind of like these things that make it seem like they're not on the same page, no matter how many times they say they are. Uh, just from a just common sense one has a seven-year deal and the other one is year to year and is however old Marty Herney is so I I think just when you think about Marty and not just Marty but Teddy Bridgewater is not did not sign with the Panthers to lose Teddy Bridgewater came to the Panthers to have his the, the best season of his career and hopefully win a bunch of games and if and turn this three-year contract that's probably only a two-year contract into a huge contract that will set him up for set him and his family up for the rest of their generational life so that's what he wants to do during this contract and if that gets to winning he is not going to apologize for that and I think that that is where the disconnect is is that when you say if just like Miles said, you can't fire somebody for going two and fourteen. You were ne- Matt Rule was never going to get fired, no matter what his record was this year. Teddy Bridgewater probably was never going to get cut after this season, no matter what their record was. But he could lose his job if they have a bad record. And so that those kind of things are are the question marks that are kind of surrounding this entire team. And that's why, in my mind, the expectations are almost good for the Panthers because what do they have to lose? Nothing. There is no, the only, the only bad situation for me is uh, not even for me. I think for the Panthers, the bad situation would be that the rookies don't show any progress. The young players don't get any better or they, they get worse. um, Like some guys did last year um, in their second year. 
And those are really the only, and, and they don't grow. And, and Matt Rule, Joe Brady, Phil Snow don't look ready for the NFL. But even that, take away the OTAs, the minicamp, training camp, there's a lot of ex- kind of built-in excuses that you can make for these guys if they do come out and it's just butt fumble after butt fumble for 16 games. Well, you better hope it's not butt fumble after butt fumble. But I, I, that's something, Josh, that I've thought a lot about too, is just that, look, this is a unique challenge for guy for those three guys you named Matt Rule, uh, Joe Brady, and Phil Snow. Look, they they have not met most of the players that they have, and it's July twenty second, and that's not their fault. That is, ju- but it's the situation. I mean, you can say the same thing up in Cleveland with Kevin Stefanski, right? Like he's going through that. New York with the Giants, Joe Judge, like th- he hasn't met these guys. It is hard. It is going, and it's hard enough to implement a new system. And I always think like you have to take the first four weeks of any season when you have a new coaching staff or sometimes even new coordinators because they have not had uh, the chess pieces, if you will, to move around yet. And so they don't necessarily know what guys do extremely well in their systems and how they can maximize those strengths. If you think about it for this year, that might take half the season. And again, that's not something that is their fault. They have not been able to get these guys on the practice field yet. The only thing they've been able to do is teach them the system. And in some ways, that might work out better because it's less, I guess, of a built-in excuse for the players of, hey, why don't you know what you're doing here, man? Like, we've gone over this a bunch of times. This is the only thing we did during the offseason program was teach you this. But at the same time, you still don't necessarily know what player strengths and weaknesses are on the field in particular. So it's going to be really, really tough for those guys. And they've got a real big challenge to, in order to figure out what guys do best. That includes somebody like a Teddy Bridgewater, right? Like how do you maximize his skill set in the system? Fortunately, Joe Brady does know Teddy Bridgewater from their shared time in new Orleans. So that might put that on a little bit more of an accelerated track, but that doesn't necessarily mean that much when you're talking about putting them with all new weapons on the outside. So it's something that they're going to have to figure out. I look at this offense, and I, I, we're going to talk about my second, you know, or the second question next. The reason I bring it up is the most important question. I don't think this offense should or will fail in 2020 unless they don't want it to succeed. Like with hmm. Teddy, I have, I have confidence in Teddy Bridgewater. I have confidence in the weapons. I think this offense will have success. If they're losing 41-34, okay, but does that mean that Trevor Lawrence is the guy that you need if they're able to put up those points? Like, I, I just to me, I like what this offense has, and I know that that may put me in Team Marty. That's fine. But <laughs> I, 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 would rather, I, I would rather see them try this season and see if we can make this work because I, I, I think Teddy Bridgewater is a talented quarterback, and I think that you're going to see a lot of base in 2020. I don't think we're going to see a lot of exotic – blitz packages and a lot of I mean teams that have been together the Peyton and Breeze you know they're going to run Kamara out some back door periodically it's going to happen but I think you're going to see a lot of base and these guys are football players that know how to play base defense and this offense is going to be I think good enough unless there's something unless they don't want to be or I mean injuries can happen and then obviously we're going to talk about here in a second but I, I look at I look at Teddy Bridgewater and think he will be a success unless they don't want him to be. Yeah, I, I just want to make it clear. I think that the Panthers' offense in 2020 is going to be good, fun to watch, and is going to score a lot of points. I think they're going to they're going to make some mistakes, but I well, I, 
maybe maybe they won't even make mistakes because it doesn't really seem like Teddy makes that many mistakes when you watch film on him. But um, I, I think there are going to there's obviously going to be some miscommunications and, and it's going to be a slow start to get them going. But I think that when you look at the playmakers on this offense, you have the best running back in football. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why no, nobody that pays attention to the team was surprised that Bill Barnwell said that they had the top five uh, group of um, weapons in the NFL because they do. Um, that that is an easy uh, an easy decision. And when you look at when teams can't practice, the thing that suffers in my mind is defense because defense is reactionary. Offense is always going to drive things. And so I think the defenses are going to be. You you said it earlier, Colin. Tackling is going to be. Not great, especially early in the season. I think you're going to see breakdowns on defense, communication issues. Those are that's where that's where things happen. And then you get into like the schoolyard. I'm running around and I'll just throw it deep to Robbie Anderson, who is faster than uh, the guy that he's matched up one on one with. So I think that this offense is going to put up a lot of points. And that's why when you say like, can Teddy Bridgewater succeed? I, I think he could be very successful this year. I think he's a bridge to, to, to tomorrow away from Cam, not a bridge to Trevor Lawrence. I, I think that's fine. I think you could spend three years. And I think, I, you know, you look at it, and I, I said it right when they signed Teddy. It's kind of the best case scenario for – it was a, kind of a great contract the way they put it together is because either he's really good and you say, okay, we found our – now he's our franchise guy and he's 27 years old and we signed him to a, a seven-year deal. And then, great. Terrific. Now it's Teddy Bridgewater's team. Or he's just okay. He's just a guy. And then your team's probably not that good. And you're on the quarterback hunt again next year. And maybe probably in two years. And you were never really supposed to be um, – never really supposed to be competitive in 2022 anyway. So – or until 2022 anyway. So – And I look at the offense. I don't see you needing to spend a whole lot of money going forward on this offense. We have a defense that they're spending less than $40 million a year right now on that over the next couple of years another draft some more investment and all of a sudden like boom you're right there like that's to me why I just don't understand the Trevor Lawrence thing I mean I get it I, I get it is why you would want Trevor Lawrence but as far as where this team is and the timeline to me they're they're already they're already so far beyond where where you would need a Trevor Lawrence right now and I, I think it's looking backwards to look forward and I, I'm just excited about where this offense is with Teddy Bridgewater as the quarterback. So tell me this, who's the backup? Is there a competition? Oh yeah, there's definitely a competition. I think PJ Walker is winning the competition right now before anybody stepped on the field. Um, but I think because of familiarity, just to be clear. Uh, yeah. And I also think the tape that Will Greer has put out there in the pros has not been good. And sometimes the devil that you don't really know, but kind of know, but kind of remember when he was really good at Temple. We had some um, good times. We had some good times. Uh, and also you look at the XFL and how he was basically the Pat Mahomes of the XFL. And you say, hey, well, Ooh. and then you look at what Will Greer did last year and you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah. I mean, he, he looked like there. Pat Mahomes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looked like Matt Mahomes. There's more, there's certainly, I think there's more no with Greer the pro which speaking to Josh right like it's when you have that film and you see what he did and what he wasn't able to do it's kind of like all right well we know what you are but PJ we don't really know what you are we think we might have something with you and you know what if you're a backup quarterback you need a quality backup quarterback but 
really, with the way rosters are going to be, you might keep both of those guys anyway. So one of them might be your two, the other might be your three, and you just have three quarterbacks on your roster. So, Or one of them might be on the practice squad then. Um, you're at least going to have, I think, three quarterbacks between your active roster and practice squad. So I, I doesn't necessarily – hopefully it doesn't matter who the backup quarterback is. And uh, I guess we'll see more of that in late August. More of these brain-breaking questions, do you have to be – extra careful with who you with that decision of who you put on the practice squad so do you want to put pj walker or will greer on the practice squad because one of those two guys is probably gonna well yeah but maybe is there a team (laughs) because one of those two guys has value is that what you're gonna say (laughs) well yeah but like what maybe there's a team we know that there were other teams that wanted to sign pj walker there were probably other teams that wanted to draft will greer right like Mm. uh, like somewhere and would they sign him if if he goes through what if he went to canada yeah like I, i don't know I, I, so it's it's just an interesting another thing where I don't envy being Marty Herney. I think Will Greer is a guy you put on a practice squad. I don't see him as a guy that's getting scooped up. We've talked about it before on episodes past. He doesn't have enough of a runway to become an NFL quarterback. He's not going to get that runway. It's unfortunate. Uh, I just roll with PJ Walker as my backup, and Will Greer can sit on the practice squad until I find somebody that's got a little bit more experience. I just don't think he's got. I just don't think he's going to have the the time. He doesn't have the runway. Sorry, Will. <laughs> No preseason for P.J. Walker to become everybody's favorite player, though. That's the real shame in this. We do not get the spectacular week four of the preseason P.J. Walker game where he throws for three touchdowns and people are like, why is it P.J. considered to be the starter? Rank Damian Craig, Joe Webb, and P.J. Walker. Go. Well, Joe Webb, obviously special teamer. So he's jack of all trades. Preseason quarterback, too, though. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Was there a Miles when you were in LA or St. Louis also? Was there like a guy that everybody just absolutely fell in love with, and you were just like, "This guy is just a guy." Like he's like the fan base is just clamoring for uh, Cameron Artis Payne, Marquise Mingo. Uh, Nelson Spruce is kind of one of those guys, and I I feel bad. Nelson's a good guy, but like that he was. They're all good guys. guys. Don't get me wrong. I know. I know. Um, Who else? Oh, uh, Austin Hill, if you guys watch Hard Knocks in 16, that was one of the guys that they featured, and everybody was like, oh, but he was good. And we're like, no, I, I watch <laughs> practice every day. That guy was bad. Uh, Luis Perez, uh, I think in 18, he was like the third or fourth string quarterback for the Rams, and everybody was like, oh, he's good. But like he – like no, like, he was running plays wrong. He couldn't even really get on the field. And then when he did get on the field, I think in either week three or week four of the preseason, there was a play that was very obviously designed to go to the left, and he went right as, on a rollout. And it's like, dude, you don't know the playbook. You can't play. Yeah. But he did well in the XFL, apparently. What, what did you think of Farrow Cooper during your time there, during his brief time? He was a there? really good returner in 2017, and then he got injured right at the beginning of the 2018 season, and he just couldn't get it back. And I think part of that is when you go on IR and he had an ankle injury at that time, it, it's, your timing gets thrown off. Um, and there, another returner had emerged basically in the time that Farrow had been away, uh, Jojo Natson. And so he basically, Natson basically took over both the punting and kick returning duties. And so by the time Farrow Cooper got back, they tried to put him, I believe, at kick returner and it just wasn't, it wasn't the same. But he was really, really, really good in 2017. He flipped a lot of fields for the Rams on special teams. So if he can regain that form, that's good news for the Panthers. The Panthers haven't had a good special teams returner, uh, no offense to Demir Bird, um, since 
uh, Michael Bates is yeah, Steve Smith, I guess. But even Steve Smith wasn't out there all the time. But like, uh, like in, I don't want to say 20 years, but it's like somebody that you just, when he's back there, you're just like, here we go. Like, I'm not not, going to go to the bathroom now. I'm going to wait until the, until the timeout. Nobody's, nobody's had the, you know, career that, that Michael Bates did for Carolina since him in the, in the, you know, early, early years, we've not had one. And of course the kickoff as a, as a thing has kind of gone away too. And punt better at punting. They're not just out there kicking as hard as they can anymore. They're trying to get hang time. So it's definitely been a modified position, but it is one of those ways, those hidden yards, those ways. It wasn't so long ago. I know it was 15 years ago or whatever, but Devin Hester was one of the most terrifying people. Like those guys are out there, um, but they're special and they're rare. And we haven't had one in a long time. Uh, never forget if we're going to tell one Devin Hester story, I was, we arrived late to a Super Bowl party. And as I was like, Knocking on the door, I was like, I can't believe we're late. I bet you Devin Hester returned the opening kick for a touchdown. And sure enough, that was exactly what had happened. And, it was and then the Bears fans should have left immediately. Yep, after that was that. the end. That, that was, was the, the end. end of the Bears Super Bowl, as I recall, for them. Yeah. <laughs> the, I think uh, Kilo Polaris, the last guy to have a punt or kick return for a touchdown against Detroit, I believe. Uh, didn't Demir Bird return a kick for a touchdown? Did get? Did he? Okay. he got one. I think he did get one. He got really mad at me on Twitter because I said I complimented Pharaoh Cooper's um, Twitter handle, uh, which I think is it's like King Touchdown. Yeah, exactly. Which is a cool Twitter handle, and I said, uh, "Man, he's got a cool Twitter handle, just like Demir Bird, which is looking Demir." And uh, and I said, "Why do kick returners always have the best um, handles?" And he was like, "We're wide receivers." I was like, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> They do do that, don't they? Yeah, sorry, Demir. <laughs> Disrespected multiple Gamecocks in one tweet. That's true. <laughs> well, it's the return of our favorite segment, O-Line Party Chat. It's yes. been at least, what, a handful of episodes since we've had this? Um, let's start with Greg Little. Are you giving up on Greg Little? Uh, I'm not. I think, I, I mean – I think that he is going to learn behind Russell Okung. And uh, just like we talked about in this, in a season like this, uh, a 31 year old left tackle is no bet, no safe bet to play all 16 games. And I, I don't think that we saw Greg little play fully healthy for the entire season. Obviously we don't, we never did. Um, and when actually that's not true, there was one game where he was healthy and he was good for that one game. But if he's going to, but I think if he's going to suffer another injury plate season, this is how it gets away from guys. So I think they, you know, it, this is as mu- as silly as it can be to say about a second round pick that only started four games his rookie year and is a backup. It's kind of a make or break year for Greg Little because if he's missing games with like high ankle sprain or, you know, he's got a, uh, a strained quad for three games, like these are the kind of things that, you know, that, that career slips away from you really fast, especially if you're on the offensive line. Yeah, you know, Greg Little is one of those guys that I just kind of feel bad for, you know, watching mm-hmm. some stuff, reading about it. It it seems like it kind of was just a lost year for him. 
And when you think about that and then what happened over the course of this offseason, this would have been a really big offseason for him. Think about how he would have been able to, in theory, be in the building with Russell Okung and learn behind him every single day during the offseason program. That's significant time that's taken away. A lot of times coaches always talk about, oh, the biggest jump players have is between year one and year two. You, through nobody's fault, you know, it's the pandemic. It is what it is. But Greg Little really has had a lot of that, the ability to go to have, make that big jump. A lot of that's been taken away from him. So what does he look like once camp starts, right? That's something that's going to be interesting to see. Can he be a primary backup for somebody and be the swing tackle maybe? Can he maybe jump inside and play guard? And I don't necessarily know that they would ask him to do that, but can he be that kind of sixth man that can play at a high level if something happens on the offensive line? Because, look, something usually happens on the offensive line. It's very rare that all five guys go an entire 16-game season without missing a start. So can he become a spot starter? That, I think, is one of the biggest questions of training camp. And, and I look what you just said about guys not getting the time in the building with, with these veterans. I think it, I think it matters so much. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this individual responsibility, I think that's one of the things that, that the pros and the guys that have been around really teach these young guys. And I think that's one of the things we don't know about 2020. Like somebody could come in chunky. Somebody could come in not looking great. I mean, have we seen Russell Okung? I, I, I mean, I'm not Mr. Social media. Like, I, is he, is he there? Like, have we seen him? Is he in Charlotte? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like a lot of this that we're kind of pinning on is a, is a newcomer that's in his mid thirties that in a, in a pandemic, like all of these things kind of combine. And it's like, ah, I hope he shows up. I hope it looks great when he's here. But until then, like we haven't seen. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, every year there's somebody that comes in that you're just not, that the coaches are not impressed with, or that, uh, that is just not, that doesn't live up to the expectations that you said, okay, we'll just slot in, um, whatever Michael Schofield as the guard and he comes in and he's slower than you thought he was because you haven't seen him play in a year. So, uh, or in eight months, however long it's been. So I, I don't think that's going to happen because these coaches have been on their, on their asses, but um, you never know. And, and you're absolutely right. We don't know what Russell Okung looks like right now. So I, I think that is a good question. I, I do think this is, this is the unit because we've talked about the weapons, running back, wide receiver, even tight end. I know we've got – there's some questions with Ian Thomas and, and who else is going to kind of fill in that role. But I think this offensive line – and you look at it, it's, it's the, the most veteran we've got with Okung. They paid Paradis. You know, Moten we've, we've liked. I mean, that's, that should be three guys right there that should be key contributors. I feel like if, this is, if there's a group on this offense that doesn't, that doesn't deliver, it may very well be this offensive line. But you have two good I – mean, if you start there, I think, where you're saying, you know, you've got the tackles, you like the tackles, you've got the center, you like the center, that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Because guard, it's not – I don't want to make it seem like guard is easy because it's not, especially with the way some of these interior linemen come off the ball. I watched Aaron Donald for the first five years of his career. I'm well aware of it. So that guard is not easier, but it's different. And I think it's easier to find a good guard than it is to find a good tackle, if that makes sense. So – And the other thing that they've got right now is that they've got a couple of guys who have played under Pat Meyer before. And I think that if there is some silver lining, maybe that that's it in terms of Schofield and John Miller. So at least Meyer knows those guys a little bit and has seen them move and has seen them play and has coached them before. And that can, I think, help in terms of trying to figure out what this offensive line is going to be in 2020. 
Because you need these guys to be cohesive and, and all the separation. Like, it, it, you can run – wide receivers can run to different routes on other sides of the field. They don't necessarily need to see each other. But these guys – this is, this is going to be the units right here. This and the defensive backfield, I think, are going to be the two units that are the story of 2020 across the league because of how much communication really needs to take place within those two units and how that has been strained this year. Tell me who are the leaders on this line and then give me your starting five. Um, well, I, can I uh, – obviously, I'm probably going to uh, answer your question with a question. Do you think that Matt Paradis can be a leader on this offensive line? Because uh, I like he needs to be. I think that when you look at um, when you look at Taylor Moten, Taylor Moten is a guy that is a quiet guy that leads by example. That is a very good right tackle who will do his job. He'll play left tackle if you need him to. Um, he'll he'll move it wherever you want. He'll do his job. But I'm not sure that he is has the personality or is kind of up to that. Uh, level of notoriety that I think a lot of players need to be like a, a vocal leader in the locker room and also just age-wise you know he just became a father I think he's 23 years old 24 years old like that's still pretty young and so if it's me if I'm um, Pat Meyer I'm going to Matt Paradis and I'm saying hey man like you got to be you you have to be stepping up in the locker room because you know Russell is going to be do, you know Russell is going to do it but Russell is on a one-year deal and Matt Paradis is was theoretically brought in to be like the center of this line for a really long time. Got a long, a lot of young guys on that team, on that line especially. And Matt Paradis didn't have a great year last year. So I'm I'm looking at him to be, hey, we're spending a lot of money on you. We need you to be the the center of this line, not just from a person not just from a play standpoint, from a personality standpoint too. Is this offense going to be able to get yardage up the middle of the field or are they going to be relying on going to the outside? Because that would be one of the things that would really limit you as an offense. If this interior of the line were to break down. I don't, uh, Nikki, to, to answer your question about who's going to be, be starting, I think we've, we've, we've hit on most of the names and they may get shuffled around a little bit, but um, I think that, you know, it's going to be Okung, it's going to be Paradis and it's going to be Moten. And then we'll see from there. Yeah. I think start. It's probably one of the three, two, uh, excuse me, two of the three between Miller, Schofield, and, and Daly. Um, I, I think Daly probably has the upper hand simply by, by um, <coughs> excuse me, by um, just by in lieu of being younger, you know, and like kind of maybe you want to get a young guy on that, on that, uh, on that offensive line that might be here in the future. Yeah, it's, it's clay that you can mold in, in, uh-huh. in some way. And I think that that's, that would certainly be a more ideal situation than anything else. But yeah, I agree with you guys. I, I think the competition at guard is going to be really interesting because how do you have a good competition when you're not really doing any contact? Yeah, so yep. it's probably going to be a lot of who is retaining the playbook better. Who's flying between uh, the center and the tackle. So that – it's going to be tough, but yeah, that's, that's one of the huge uh, competitions that the Panthers are going to have to figure out. Yeah. It's not just preseason that these guys are losing. I, we we keep hitting on it, but it's like when, when you think of training camp, it's like the guys report the veterans report. And then the next night they're in the stadium practicing against each other. And this one, this, this camp is going to be the veterans report next Tuesday. They can't be in the building lifting weights until Saturday and then they're not going to have even a non-padded practice for what is it like two and a half weeks 
Yeah. Is that right, Miles? Something like that? Like, Mid-August, basically, mid, yeah. the timeline at this point. Like the 15th to the 17th, somewhere in there. Is when and they put like, helmets on. Right. Like, that's crazy. So, uh, yeah. How do you have an offensive line competition when you can't hit each other? It's We've talked about how frenetic this, this year is. Do you guys think that we're going to see a – like we'll just say the Chiefs go 14-2? and two, Or do you think everybody's going to be mired in the muck this year? You know, like, and, and excluding some team that, you know, Jacksonville wants to lose. But I, does it feel like everybody's going to be in the six to 10 win range this year? Or do you think there's going to be teams that emerge just because of what we're talking about? How much is in flux in the beginning of the season? If there are teams that return a bunch of starters like the Chiefs, you're going to have a huge advantage, right? The Chiefs, yeah. the Ravens, uh, the Saints come to mind, unfortunately, uh, as another one of those teams. The Niners. that have a lot of continuity the Seahawks they've had continuity for the last basically the last decade that I think is going to be the key if you have continuity and you know what you're doing then you're going to be able to go out there and execute pretty well but anybody who has a little his moderate even personnel turnover and you know if you've got a new coaching staff you're trying to integrate it's going to be harder I may be I may be mishearing Miles here, but I think you just said if Ron Rivera was still the coach, we're probably a favorite. We're right in the mix. <laughs> uh, I did and if they it. brought back Kyle Allen, it would have been we would have been golden, baby. <laughs> That's your bridge to Trevor Lawrence, right there. Yeah, I do think that having a having a ridiculous quarterback that can uh, that can work through broken plays is going to be better than having a ridiculously accurate quarterback. So I don't think – I think that Drew Brees and Tom Brady in these types of situations are maybe less valuable than Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson when you're looking at that, like, top upper echelon of teams where you say, like, look at these guys. Like, this is the kind of team that could just roll through defenses that haven't been able to practice for eight months. Okay, Josh. So if, if I'm hearing you correctly, what you just said is if we kept Ron Rivera and Cam Newton, we would definitely be. <laughs> oh, no. Are you saying Kyle Allen can't work with broken plays? See, this is, you know, the Kyle Allen slander is ridiculous. This is a sentinel. He can have Will Greer's spot. No, no, that's right. He already got traded. <laughs> um, I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time talking running back, um, you know, with CMC living his best life right now. But who's backing him up? Is, it, is he ever going to get off the field, I think, is the bigger right. question. Like, that – I mean, uh, to me, it was less about – and I get it. Like, you're the coach. You could tell him get off the field, whatever. And, like, he doesn't want to come off the field. And every time after games, you would be like, man, like, even it, like even the cameras are gone and the microphones are gone and you say, like, hey, like, uh, like that's a lot of playing time, a lot of touches you're getting. He's like, yes, bring it on, man. He's like, I want, I want yards. I want touches. I feel great. Like – uh, like I, I think that you know he he wants to play as much as he can. I am hopeful that Joe Brady is going to institute a two running back system so that even when he is on the field, he's not necessarily going to touch the ball as much as he did last year. So it's like if he runs a uh, a swing, if he's just swinging out to the left while you're you know running an RPO with um, Mike Davis, then okay, like that that is a that's not a play that he's really that is exerting a lot of energy for him. And I think it, I think the responsibility goes to Marty Herney to get somebody get a running back on the roster that's worthwhile plugging in there. I mean, if the if the gap is as big as it is between him and the other running backs, like of course he's going to stay out there. He's a three down back. That's what he's designed to do. But we do need to find ways to get him some, you know, get him some uh, some breaks 
during the game. I'm down with keeping his touches down. I think that's one of the that's one of the lessons we have to learn from running backs in the past. And I think they've done a pretty doggone good job um, of of keeping his touches down. But I, I think Mike Davis is an interesting guy because he's a between the tackles runner. That's something we've been talking about for a while. We'll see. He's you know a little long in the tooth now. Had some injuries, but he was um, you know watching him here locally. That he was the kind of guy that I thought could complement a Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I like Davis because he is that between the tackles. He's he's a good not that Christian McCaffrey can't run between the tackles, but I feel like he's a good complement to the kind of back that Christian McCaffrey is. But I would ju- I just think four hundred touches is too much. I, in today's NFL, yeah. I just I frankly I, I think four hundred touches, and when you're the only person in the league who has that many touches by that big of a margin it's too much. And I, I get it. Like that guy, he wants the ball and he should have the ball, right? Like when you get the thousand yards receiving and a thousand yards rushing, you should have the ball in your hands. But at the same time, when you're the cornerstone of the offense, it, it makes a difference. You, you have to be able to preserve that guy for as long as you can. And you have to have creative ways to maybe get him split out a little bit more so that he's not necessarily running it between the tackles as much, but he can still be effective on the outside. And so maybe he's going out of bounds a little bit more and not getting hit as you would as you are running between the tackles. But yeah, obviously you want Christian Caffrey to have the ball as much as possible. It's just not 403 times. It's, he's it's, he's smart. He's smart enough. He's a smart runner. I, I I don't really have a problem with the touches as much as I do with the with the potential punishment. It is a lot of touches. It's certainly high. But you look at the guys that are Hall of Fame running backs in the, in in this in the NFL. These guys got heavy touches. And and I think the most important thing is that his his running touches are lower than these other guys. Like his running touches around two hundred eighty. Like give me if that number's around two fifty. I'm with you. Like that makes me feel a whole lot better, but I'm not worried as much. I don't think it's a one-to-one, a rushing uh, attempt and a receiving attempt. So I I like seeing that 250 for his rushing attempts around in that area, but I'm not worried about getting him the ball more than that. I'm more worried about his, just that rushing. I I just want to touch on the thing that we also, that all three of us said, which was, we talked about Mike Davis. And I think that this is, a good example of how Panthers fans should get used to thinking about new names on the depth chart and on the roster than the ones that you're maybe thinking of because Matt rule and Joe Brady don't have any attachment to Jordan Scarlett and to Reggie Bonifant. Like it's not like last year when, you know, Ron Rivera was, Oh, look at this UDFA. We loved him. This is why we brought him in. Like these guys are going to look at who has performed the best during these six practices or during these 20 practices that we're able to watch and uh and who has the who's put the best tape out there and mike davis has been a successful nfl running back and i think a lot of people are saying to themselves mike davis is as good as cut three million dollar salary or uh cap hit that you can save but and and they're right and he may get cut i'm not certainly not saying he is untouchable and he's a guy that is definitely going to make the roster but just to think about especially like in the linebacking in the on the defense and on the offense when you look at this roster don't expect guys like Tyler Larson sorry Tyler if you're listening but like just like guys that you have been on the roster for three or four years and you would just kind of lump into that backup spot they may not there's going to be a lot more churn I think this year this offseason than than fans are ready for let's move on who has a bigger season this year, Ian Thomas or Curry Samuel? 
Oh, baby. Breakouts. Breakout superstars. Uh, I, I'm going to take Ian question. Thomas over Curtis Samuel on this one um, because I think Ian Thomas can get more opportunities. Curtis Samuel is going to be a guy that's, uh, you know, fourth, fifth piece in this offense, you know, in this receiving core. I think Ian Thomas is going to be the guy that benefits from CNC be, being, you know, coming out of the backfield, even like we're talking about moving him, dictating matchups. I think Ian Thomas is the guy that should be in position to kind of reap those rewards. And just because of the proximity between him and CMC, I give him the advantage. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that Curtis Samuel um, is the is uh, the third receiving option, the third wide receiver option probably. And although, you know, when you look at Robbie Anderson, he is going to be running down the field a lot, I think, and has a very specific role in this offense. And he may not get the ball as much as he is on the field. Um, and he can be effective without getting the ball if he's pulling safety coverage and, and even pulling their fastest corner with him every time he runs down the field. But um, I, I do think that Ian Thomas, Ian Thomas, just like Curtis Samuel, when he's on the field and he gets the ball in his hand, he's been very impressive. And Ian Thomas had a future Hall of Fame tight end in front of him. Curtis Samuel last year was on the field for all 16 games and had a fine season. So I, I think to expect this huge jump from Curtis – maybe isn't as sensible as expecting a huge dump for me and Thomas who, when he gets 16 games of hundred percent of the snaps or 90% of the snaps or whatever, may be ready to maybe a lot better than we thought he was in those small doses. I'm interested to see what the effect of not really having the off season has on Ian Thomas versus Curtis Samuel, because when you're talking about Samuel, he's been on the field, he's played snaps and Thomas hasn't necessarily had that experience. So in some ways, that's a good thing, right? Because it, I think, as you guys were just saying, it, it almost means that you have a little bit more potential. Your ceiling might be higher with Thomas than what it appears to be with Samuel because he's got that history. And we, we, at a certain point, you kind of are who you are in the NFL. But what does it mean to be those two guys in Joe Brady's offense? I don't know. And that nobody knows, really, except for them. And, you know, the Panthers coaching staff and sort of they don't even know because they haven't gotten to see those guys play at all yet. So it, it's interesting. I, I probably, if I had to make a choice, would say Thomas as well, um, just based on the fact, was, as you guys were just saying, look, Sam's probably the third receiving option, and you got Thomas, who is a size mismatch as the top tight end, right? So in, in theory, that should be an advantage for him, but I – it's hard to say. And I think if the I think if the things go best for Panther fans, he's the more consistent producer, and Samuel's the guy that produces more explosive plays, but maybe it's once every three weeks. Yes. And that, to me, is the, is the ultimate winning recipe for, for both of those guys. And, and to be clear, I think this offense is going to run around CMC. I, I think he is 1-1-A, one, one and then everything else is secondary to him, whether you're moving him to dictate matchups, whether you're getting him the ball quickly – the, the fact that he, the, you have the ability to get him such a special ball, ball player the ball without the defense is something that we've somehow or undervalued at this point. The fact that they can get the ball to him so easily is going to be huge. And so uh, everybody else is going to be orbiting around that, around him, I believe, this season. What happens with DJ Moore this year? Do you think he is able to kind of make it into that next top tier? So, I mean, the, the next tier is like the top, top tier, right? Uh, uh, right? I don't know. I honestly don't know how he's viewed around the league. Miles, last year when you were watching this team from Oakland, 
did you did you even know the name DJ Moore? Like, were um, were you thinking to yourself like, oh, this guy's really good, or were you just like, eh? Uh, I mean, I heard of him mainly because I cover the league, but I would put sure. him probably on that echelon of receivers like a Stefan Diggs, which I, I don't mean as an insult at all. No. Um, but like the, the Stefan Diggs, the Robert Woods of the world, uh, it seems like he would be on that plane of receivers. Guys who are very good, and I think more of us now know who Stefan Diggs is um, based on his social media stuff. And now he got traded to the Bills, and the, we'll see how that goes with uh, Josh Allen. But I, I think. The, I would put him on that kind of level, especially considering the quarterback play he was playing with last year to have the kind of season that he did. I'll be very interested to see if he's able to make a – I know this is going to be a reach, but I, if, if CMC is Marshall Falk, I'll be interested to see if he can be a Torrey Holt type or is, it, is he going to be you – know, like he can be that number one wide receiver. Even though I'm saying everything's running around CMC, he can be that bona fide number one. And, Miles, your point about quarterback play cannot be overstated. I mean, he got Cam for half of a season his first year and then basically not at all the second year. It's really – you know, and we should give the same respect, honestly, to Samuel in some ways that these guys haven't had that that fair shot. I think they – I think Teddy Bridgewater comes in and will be the best quarterback that all of these guys have basically played with for a full season if they're able to get it. Just And that's not just in Cam. That's just where the Cam's injury, you know, ended up. Probably for there is there a pass catcher on this roster that has played with a better quarterback in their career than I mean Keith Kirkwood played with Drew Brees obviously but like I'm I'm talking about the top the top guys I mean DJ no. Moore Curtis Samuel Ian Thomas Robbie Anderson Christian McCaffrey like yeah. is so, Teddy Bridgewater the most the the best most kind of uh, most consistent quarterback that they've played with in their entire career. Maybe 2017 Cam Newton when Christian was a rookie, probably. But right. But you're uh, a rookie, and you don't know what you're doing. You're out there, you know, flailing around. Yeah, I, and the word you said there is consistency. That's that's the thing about the quarterback position is if you you don't have to have all of the other things if you can be consistent. And I truly believe that Teddy Bridgewater has a chance to be the most consistent quarterback we've seen really since Cam was at his, his peak. Yeah, and and if you ask me, DJ Moore is the guy who I think is going to benefit the most from the Joe Brady offense because when you look at what Joe Brady did at LSU, he stretched the field vertically, but he stretched it horizontally was the big was the big thing that he did, and he got the ball to guys in space. And Christian McCaffrey, obviously, we know is a monster in space, but so is DJ Moore. And when you put the ball in his hands six yards from the line of scrimmage, and there's a cornerback bearing down on him, and there's no one else within twelve yards. That's, that's a recipe for success. And I think that, that this is exactly what they want to do. And when you look at Teddy Bridgewater, they, we, he has been handpicked, and we talked about it, we've talked about it multiple times, handpicked by Joe Brady, handpicked by Matt Rule, because of the way that they run this offense. And Teddy Bridgewater is consistent on the short and medium passes. He will, he will hit them, and maybe he takes them rather than going deep every now and then. But if that's what they want him to do, if you can pick up chunks of six yards at a time, that's going to be a, an incredible offense. And I think that if you can, when DJ Moore is able to play in this offense and gets into a rhythm with Teddy Bridgewater, um, I, I do think he has the ability and the opportunity to make that jump into, hold on, DJ Moore had 140 catches this year? Like, <laughs> Like just kind of one of those things where around the league, people are like, what is fantasy football players know exactly who he is, but maybe around the league, people don't aren't, aren't quite there as far as catching up with him. 
All right, I'll ask you, I'll ask it this way. Do you expect more of a boost? And I don't necessarily mean production wise, but you see more of a boost from more or for Thomas or Samuel? More. Because I would agree with that. Yeah, I would too. I would too. Just based on the way this offense seems to run. um, And obviously we haven't seen it run with this particular group of of players, but yeah, I would have to think that more is going to be the the biggest benefactor. And I think that's incredibly, that's incredibly encouraging. I mean, the fact that you're talking about your top two weapons, CMC and DJ Moore, both are two of the best players in the league if they get the ball in space. And you got a quarterback that can do it and, and, and not taking risks, not taking shots. Oh, and then, by the way, instead of just having Ted Ginn and maybe Jericho Cottery running deep, you got Curtis Samuel and, and Robbie Anderson. I don't, I, don't see, I don't see what's not to like about this offense. That's where I struggle, other than the interior of the offensive line. And as long as Russell Kuhn actually is here. It's <laughs> Any sleepers in this group? Uh, in the pass catcher group, yes. I don't know, Seth Roberts maybe. Like I like who knows? It's all about like injuries and COVID nineteen and who who gets an opportunity. There's just not that many balls to go around. If McCaffrey, Moore, Samuel, Anderson, and Thomas all play sixteen games, like Pharaoh Cooper maybe has a return touchdown. Yeah, Farrell Cooper's got some ability. Um, I don't think he ever really got much of a shake at receiver in L.A., at least when I was covering him. Um, and, I mean, the times he did, things didn't necessarily go all that great. But, again, he didn't get that many opportunities. I don't know who's going to be able to get the opportunities. I mean, like you were just saying, there's only one football. And Christian McCaffrey's going to get the lion's share of the touches anyway. So, I, I don't know. It's gonna, it's, and it's even harder to say because we never got to see these guys practice yet. So, uh I hate to like say I don't know to a question. That uh, that's not a very good that's not a very good way of doing sports talk. But. <laughs> I don't know. Well, there's a lot, but there's so many unknowns with yeah. the top five. That how yeah. do you project six, seven, eight? I mean, you know, we know like the things we think we know. CMC is going to be the lion's share. DJ Moore is going to be second. After that, I mean, is it Ian Thomas? Is it Robbie Anderson? Is it Curtis Samuel? Like I feel like you know it, it kind of opens up, but there's a lot of good names in that mix to fill out that to round out that offense. Where does our guy Chris Manhurts fit into it? I mean, come on. We got the Manhurts hive is alive. Obviously. And he'll be tremendous in goal line packages. <laughs> <laughs> and he will always be number one in your heart. Manhurts. Uh, Josh, do you have a game for us? Oh, yeah, I do. I'm running the game this week. All right, game time. So excited. <laughs> Sorry. I uh, was not ready for that. Very professional. Um, so we're going to be running – our game this week is a very is a really fun one. Um, it is called Breakout Candidate, and uh, we talked a little bit about um, preseason stars. And one of the things that you hear every single year is uh, is a breakout candidate for NFL stars. And there are certain guys that are constantly every single year are breakout candidates. I, I mean, we obviously we talked about Curtis Samuel and Thomas, all those guys our breakout candidates for this year. But this one is going to be talking about two different breakout candidates that have been breakout candidates every year since they came into the league. And those are Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel. And what I've done is I've pulled two, I've pulled press clippings on each of these guys from between 2017 and 2020. And I'm going to ask you which one you think, whether it is Robbie Anderson or Curtis Samuel. Okay. You ready? Does everybody understand the game? 
understand the game. I understand the game. All right, great, fantastic. Are there any questions? No, sorry. Um, uh, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, only Tyreek Hill created a higher average rate of separation than this wide receiver among wide receivers with 100-plus targets last season. His game-changing speed was simply too much for most cornerbacks to handle without safety help. Improved quarterback play, an expanded route tree, and a coach that wants to get more involved and creative with his usage. All signs point to this wide receiver taking his game to the next level. Is that Robbie Anderson or Curtis Samuel? Oh, no. Did you say the receiver had 100 receptions? Because that would eliminate – oh. Among wide receivers with 100 plus targets, and oh. that is over. And that is over the course of a certain time period. That I yeah. will, yeah. I'll say that's Robbie Anderson. I don't think Curtis Samuel's been targeted enough for that one. Uh, yeah, that's what that would also be my guess. I'll say Robbie Anderson. I'll put, I'll piggyback off it. It is Robbie Anderson. That is my favorite kind of stat, though. Only Tyreek Hill created a higher average rate of separation among wide receivers with 100 plus targets, like. That that's a that's a very drilled down stat. And stats it, that stats that provide context and remove context at the exact same time. Yes, <laughs> and it's a really good uh, it's a really good stat. Um, a baseball stat. Absolutely. Um, I okay. thought we were talking about I, Burson for a second. <laughs> I did think that Curtis Samuel was the most wide open person I've ever seen on a football field against the Bucks last season, but that <laughs> uh, you know, I guess he I guess he didn't rate quite as high as Robbie. Well, let me ask you this. Was, this. was this quote about Curtis Samuel, this wide receiver was ninth among wide receivers in air yards last year, spurred by a depth of target that was among the highest in the league. He had 981 unrealized air yards, and Matt Harmon has named him one of his top breakout receivers for 2019. So this was before last season he was one of the top breakout receivers for 2019. This is Unreal- definitely Curtis Samuel. Yeah, unrealized air yards is a very odd stat. But, yeah, I, yeah. I also thought that that was Curtis Samuel. I feel yep. like I read that article at some point. Yeah, the, the next sentence says, he had success no matter what type of coverage he saw in 2018, whether it was man or press, and had an impressive contested catch rate. So, yeah, that was Curtis Samuel. Um, I, I mean, hey, uh, I don't know if he broke out, but he, he was almost there. So this is um, – this is uh, this is before this season, so this is a more this is a recent one. Ready? Okay. Um, considering the quarterback he had to work with for most of the year, these numbers are pretty impressive. Should I stop right there? If he ever connects <laughs> oh, because... with a, no, you can't, right? No, uh, yeah, the Jets had a terrible quarterback situation last year too. The quarterback got mono. Mm-hmm. He's seeing ghosts. Oh, that's right. Yeah, maybe. If he ever connects with a healthy quarterback and a creative play caller who are able to take advantage of his skill set, he may yet turn into one of the league's elite wide receivers. Is that about Curtis Samuel or Robbie Anderson? And I will tell you that that article came out within the last week. Robbie Anderson. I'll say it's Samuel. Samuel has so much unrealized potential. I've been a Sam stan. I want to be back on board with the Samuel clan. But at this point, I – it just seems like there's too many questions. I mean, am I, am I crazy? Am I forgetting that there was discussions about him possibly being traded, right? Like around the draft time, there's things like that. So it's like, it seems like there's uh, like talent, but willingness. I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what the deal is, but that, yeah. It is, it is Curtis Samuel. 
So oh, apologies to Miles. Point man. for Colin. Colin, you're the you're the big winner in that round. Um, but yeah, it's um, I don't know. Is is he destined to be one of those guys that fantasy football players absolutely love and are drafting two rounds too early because he never really quite. He's always a breakout candidate. I mean. These guys, Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel, are both very young, so they can certainly grow into this and can break out. Like this season, they could both be breakouts. But it's the question is, you know, how long can you be a breakout candidate before you have to actually break out? So I've got one more here, um, and uh, it's actually a bonus round. This is a bonus round. So this is not about Curtis Samuel or Robbie Anderson. Um, this is about a former Panthers wide receiver. And I just had to, I had to, t- I had to read it to you guys because he was voted a breakout candidate, um, before the 2000 and I believe it was the 2018 season, but I will give you that information before you have to guess. But here's the quote, looking at his film, I came away even more impressed because he did good work. Even when the ball wasn't coming to him, this dude is a really good route runner with more speed than I thought, he was putting defenders in a blender on every snap. There were plenty of times when he was open deep and the quarterback either didn't see him or couldn't get the ball to him accurately. His numbers should have easily been twice what they were. If he can stay healthy, he will be a vital part of that Panthers offense by the end of the season. And I'm going to tell you what year he came to the Panthers. It was in 2000 and 17 he was on the panthers for one year in 2017 i was all excited to save david Geddes proudly and confidently that that was going to be the correct answer but that is not the correct timeline for that one <laughs> no miles do you have a guess i mean if he can stay healthy he'll be a vital part of the panthers offense by the end of the season did and he i stay will healthy? tell you he did stay healthy he played either he played 15 games I don't know. Is this going to be um, Mr. Led College Football and Catches Kiaris Garrett? This is former Tampa Bay Buccaneer Russell Shepard, who finished the season with 17 catches for 202 yards in Whoa. 15 games. Wow. To be fair, Russell Shepard does not sound like a wide receiver name. Like, no, they, no. they should have just rejected that on the spot. Like, you're like, hey, we need someone to play a doctor on an ABC. I'm sorry. He's like, yeah, Russell Shepard. He's good for that. Wide receiver? No. Just on name alone, I could have snuffed this one out. Saved Just all under fifty percent of the snaps for Russell Shepard in 2015 or 2017. Um, yeah, uh, that is why. Do not believe the hype on breakout candidates. That is the end of breakout candidates. The game. Clap 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 clap. Broken candidates. Yeah. Sleepers. They're, they're, they're called sleepers in your fantasy league. Sure. And then I you thought, cut I, them all I year. I thought Marvin McNutt's name might come up, but no, didn't, didn't quite get there. <laughs> Comes up in my household more often than you think. <laughs> Miles, tell the folks at home where they can find you on the internets if you want to be found. Uh, I was going to make a show. Not gonna make that joke. Um, you, you can find me on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons and on Panthers.com. Josh Klein rules. Yeah, you can find me at Josh Klein rules on Twitter. Uh, Josh Klein rules with a Z on Instagram. Uh, but I don't really post much on Instagram anymore. I used to do it all the time, but now 
um, we're inside too much. Post more pictures of Bernie and of the chickens. Yeah, and of the food that I'm cooking. There you go. That's, that's all we most, need. That's most Instagram. Colin? Yeah, when I'm running the Corey slash Philly Brown and Kevin Norwood fan club, um, you can find me on Twitter at Colin CLT. How much time does that take a week, by the way? Well, I, I walk to the mailbox every day, and, and every day there's no, there's no work. It's, it's pretty much like the rest of my 2020. <laughs> <laughs> more people fans of Corey or more people fans of Philly? Like, which one? Uh, Where does it well, land? Well, Corey has a bigger family, so that's, that's a big part of it. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> and I'm Nikki704 on Twitter. This has been One Day Contract, part of the Riot Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Miles Simmons, your one-day contract is up. Everyone else, wash your hands, wear a mask. See you next week. That's great. It starts with an earth.